My name is Josh, and I am a freelance writer and web developer. And my name is Lee Hawkinswood. I am a leader in the tech and digital experience management space. And this is Verbal Remedy, the show where we explore all manner of topics from life, leadership, and anything else that interests us. If you like what we do and you want to follow us, then you can find me, Josh, on Twitter, at SultanJosh21. And you can find me on LinkedIn, at Lee Hawkinswood. And that's enough of all of that. Let's get to the episode. So we have both been very busy lately, both in and out of work. But uh, in work, we're busy because we are in the middle of uh, training up some new people. Um, So we're both involved in in, in taking on some new employees and and getting them trained up in fairly technical IT-related roles. Um, And so I feel like it would be good for us to talk about learning. Uh, and there's no limits on this. Uh, you know, we can talk about what kind of learning you think works best for you, what works best for me, uh, the different styles of learning and uh, kind of different approaches uh, or maybe things to consider if you want to teach people things. So Sounds good to me. To begin with, um, let's let's talk about your personal preferences. So what do you think you need to be able to learn most effectively? I'm not. I'm not a great studier. I think you have a much better system when it comes to uh, taking on a new subject and consuming it quickly. I I get. I if I get interested in something, I tend to hit hit it pretty hard and consume as much about it as I possibly can from from um, videos, whether they be free things like YouTube or if I can get access to some resources like Udemy or, or something else, uh, articles online, books, if there's a mentor, something like that, I'll, I'll, I'll take on as much as I can. Uh, I take a lot of notes, um, but I don't have as many concise or precise systems as you, I would say. You're the, the better learner, um, so to speak. But my preference for learning really is, I think I do my best learning if I set kind of the environment. That's probably a good good kind of platform for us to start this conversation. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, and we actually have very different approaches to setting up our environments uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to learning. So how do you set yours up? What do you think about? I guess it depends on what i'm learning and how i'm learning it if i'm if i'm listening i I love to listen to music have music on in the background whilst i'm learning something because it helps to block out the rest of the world Mm -hmm. and it helps me focus in um there's a slight irony because the type of music i use is heavy metal uh, (laughs) because that's what i am most comfortable with um i get the most comfort from from heavy metal and i also use classical music which is more uh, typical i think when people study people use that a lot but i actually whilst i get benefit from the latter the former is where i get most benefit that's so that's part of the environment obviously if i'm watching a video or something that's not going to be very um useful because i need to be able to hear what is being said yeah um but certainly if i'm learning or something like that i'll put some music on and go through what i need to go through that really helps that helps me to limit context switching as well mm-hmm 
because I find if I have just silence whilst I'm trying to learn, uh, my mind has more space to wander. Yeah. And I start to distract myself, and I go off on 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 tangents, and and those kind of little tangential walks are what they they give me some difficulty whilst I'm in a lesson as well if I'm on a course because I start to think about what's being said and I go off down a rabbit hole about applying that thing and then I miss a whole chunk of what's been said and I have to kind of catch up writing notes that kind of thing yeah and uh, I, I do yeah, think so, so, we differ a lot on this you know, when, when it comes to learning methods like you, you list you said there that you listen to music um I feel like I actually do listen to music, but I prefer not to. Like when it really comes down to it, when it, when I really need to focus, I like uh, no music at all, you know, as close to silence as I can get. Um, sure. Most of the time I do like to listen to music, but it has to be non-instrumental. And I feel like I have quite specific tastes uh, when it comes to studying music. So I like like something lo-fi, uh, with that kind of grainy white noise in the background because it really just fills yeah. all the gaps. Um, I like yeah. jazz. I don't like studying classical music because I find it too emotionally engaging. Uh, <laughs> like you'll be listening to classical music as you study and you'll be in a flow, but then something really like somber or sharp will come on and it will break me from my immersion with the, you know, whatever studying I'm doing. And I'll think like, my God, this is a lot, you know, this, this is, this is just very, well, this is, this is a lot to think about when listening to this piece. And, and so I don't think that, um, what music with lyrics or something like heavy metal, I don't think I'd yeah. get on well with that at all. Um, it would, I think it just really distract me. I need most, something most, that most people say the same. If mm. I, if, if to, I think people who are really, really, really into heavy metal, as in they have a real strong passion for it. Um, I quite commonly, um, uh, the species of, of, of person, we're able to um, fall asleep to it. We're able to um, uh, relax to it, to yeah. study to it, to a certain degree. It, de it does depend, clearly. But you make a good point about classical being engaged, um, emotionally engaging, because that's one of the things that actually makes it not take the top spot for me. Heavy metal can be emotionally engaging for me, so I can't listen to something that... I can't listen to something new. Yeah. If it's something new that I haven't really listened to before, I get engaged with it. But mm -hmm. if it's something I've listened to a lot, um, then it's much easier for me to just put it in the background. I, I guess to give some examples, because instrumental and non-instrumental both both work. Instrumental is um, useful, obviously, because then you're not following any lyrics, so there's less opportunity to be distracted by them. But then take take a song like Orion by Metallica. It's fully instrumental really really good track for me that's a great track to put on in the background for for studying um but then if you put something on like slipknot that's very intense heavy metal music um and it works really well for me to to uh to, to study to despite it being full of very heavy Corey taylor style um vocals yeah yeah yeah, I, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I am not a metalhead. I've never really been that into that genre of music. Um, and so I, I think that your personal taste comes into it big time. Uh, but I do find that for me, I don't know, I, I don't really feel like I have much of a personal taste in music. Uh, I tend to like 
I just like whatever I like. I have a, a pretty varied taste. Um, and when it comes to studying, uh, I'll even sometimes put on uh, a certain genre or, or just pop music in a language that I don't speak. So like French pop or Korean pop, uh, as long as I can't understand the lyrics, it's not distracting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. as soon, if it's in English, if there is any kind of English lyrics involved, I, I get distracted uh, and I find myself Even just more one engrossed word. in the song. <laughs> well, yeah. If so just the sometimes you'll have lo-fi songs or French songs or Korean songs where they will drop in English words and that will just, just rip me out of wherever I'm trying to focus on. Um, and, and it's really hard to avoid. You know, sometimes I'll be listening to like nature sounds and it'll just be like the sound of rain uh, on on leaves and there'll be like a couple of bird calls in yeah. there and I'll get into a flow. It's a really zen moment. And then it'll switch to like ocean sounds and waves crashing and, and I'm, I'm really focused and I'm, I'm, I'm cracking on. I'm losing track of time, totally absorbed in my task. And then I'll just hear out of nowhere whale sounds like and it'll just it'll just yank me right out. <laughs> of what i'm doing uh it's i I find it really problematic i I struggle to find music that i can really focus to because it has to be pleasant but really just not i don't know like i want to say not distracting at all it can't make me feel too much of anything that you make a good point again the the ambient soundtracks you can find them on youtube spotify or, or wherever they're all over the place there are tons of them fire crackling or rain rainfall or something like that those are really really good mm-hmm. um, and there's there's some there's some good um there's some kind of good literature around the state of mind they put you into as well that type because you, you've also got all, all you've also got specific soundtracks for like theta and beta and alpha um uh thinking that kind of thing you put those on and you've got those kind of beta sounds humming away in the background i actually really like those i think they're really cool I quite like um, bass guitar as well. Stuff that's mm. low and bassy that helps me too. But um, there's a lot of really cool, um, uh, like um, pan flute folk music that's yeah. really good as well. That's just like okay. So if it's a bit too chipper, it can be distracting. But there's some really good folk, folk uh, drumming and flute and pan flute that, that I find really really good for it as well. I guess what we've established is when I, when I, at the start of this when I said number one heavy metal music it turns out there's a whole whole list of music that works really well for me for, for learning not just the uh the one or two that spring to mind yeah and that's really but... important uh i don't i can't bring it to hand uh because i i, I can't think of where I, I saw this but i think i read about a study uh which kind of looked into the different kinds of music and how they actually impact your ability to study and the result, I can't remember, so I can't really accredit the study or even give you the actual uh, information from the results. But I'm pretty sure I read that the result was heavily psychological. Uh, it was a matter of whatever people felt like they yeah. would study the best to is what they studied the best to. Uh, so, you know, either through trial and error, you find what works for you or you try something that you like and and it starts to work for you and i think that the lesson there really is that there is no uh one set of music one genre or type of music that is going to be perfect for studying and helping you focus and uh, not only allowing you to continue to hold your focus but also 
giving you the right kind of keeping you in the right mood to keep going to increase your longevity when you study um when you learn something uh and so the, the answer really is a bit of a cop-out uh but it's whatever you want whatever works for you is what's going to work for you yeah it's, it's less about the the input specifically and more about the internal reaction to it it's all about what you feel essentially what would even though we're talking about different types of music though i do think that lo-fi would be on my list for, for there for study somewhere too um it's not about the the specific genre of music it's about how it makes you feel that's what we have in common mm-hmm. that's what we that, that's essentially we're aiming to get to the same state we're just using a different kind of vehicle to get there um i had a... but that's 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 sorry go on Oh, I was going to say, I was going to change the topic. Um, I had a, an interesting conversation with a friend of mine the other day uh, who was studying for um, like AWS exams, I think, uh, Amazon Web Services. So they're fairly technical exams. Um, he's been studying for them for several months, but really only doubled down on it in the past month. Uh, and he actually uh, passed the exam this weekend. Uh, congratulations to him. Uh, but in uh, preparing, in, in, in learning the content, he told me that he's been learning it, you know, air quotes, learning it for months. But then he went and watched some content on YouTube um, about how to study, like effective study methods. Uh, I think it was a very popular one. I think it was Ali Abdal, uh, who has released loads of videos on, on effectively studying. And my friend reported back afterwards that it made such a huge difference. Uh, just watching that video and taking in the uh, approach and the methodologies that uh, that Ali talked about. I don't know which video it was specifically. Ali has loads of them on this channel. Uh, but he said that it really helped. Like it made a big, big difference. And that seems to imply to me that studying is a skill uh, like anything that you can learn and you can practice and there are methods that you can follow to increase your success at the endeavor what do you think of that yeah i'd agree as someone who is probably not very skilled at studying i would say um i think that if i sit down to study it's not just about opening a book and reading and then hoping that you retain um, all of that information mm-hmm. i think it's quite clear that that isn't that isn't the most effective method open page start try and consume as much as possible try and retain as much as possible and i've seen on your recommendation actually some of the ali abdul videos that are specifically about studying and found them highly informative mm. and felt more confident going into my own studies as a result even down to um, effective note-taking and reflecting on notes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Small small changes to make a big difference, you know, rather than, I mean, it seems obvious, but um, I'm not pulling from Ali Abdul now. In fact, I might be pulling this from you um, rather than trying to take a note that is exactly what was said verbatim, which takes a lot of time if you're writing on paper compared to type speed, of course. Mm-hmm. rather than take a note that is their exact sentence you um, shorthand it yeah to a few pieces of key information that tell you exactly what was trying to be said it can be difficult to do that but then this is where it becomes a bit of a skill like you said 
Yes, that's a huge thing. That's something I started doing uh, maybe earlier this year or a, a little bit before that with nonfiction books that I read. So I, I used to read nonfiction books and really find them interesting. And, and, you know, at points I would even think, man, that is, that is life-changing advice. That is a really interesting perspective. Um, and then I would kind of, I mean, I would, just, I would lose it. I would forget. Um, and I started actually taking effective reading notes uh, on, on books that I read. And one of the things that I do is summarize the whole book in three sentences of my own. Can't copy, uh, just, you know, reword it. And having to, uh, so that I think what that exercise does is two things. It makes you process the information into your own words and it forces you to be concise and having to really think about the overall message of the book and condense it down into three words three words of your own uh kind of language really really effective for helping me engage with the book and helping me remember on a much longer uh, much longer term the lessons that are presented That's so i think the key there is that information retention is what you gained from more effective note taking mm -hmm. so that's a, that's a key piece because we're break, breaking down different elements of of uh of learning or or and or study um and we've talked about environment where we're into note taking now and i think that's a really key thing so if you're looking at the utility of note taking well what do you want to do if you're studying you want to retain as much information as possible so the game is to deploy methods that maximize the probability of retention yeah i'm a big fan of uh, writing things out as well you mentioned that uh i just there, there is something about deliberately writing something out that really seems to cement it in my brain a lot more effectively than even typing it out. Mm -hmm. um, however, I also think that it, despite that, my preferred way to learn is to watch and do. Uh, sure. So I guess visual kinesthetic. Um, like I, uh, I don't think that I was... So I was never very studious in school. And even now, I um, when I so I'm doing um, uh, a degree at the moment, and uh, when I have modules where I need to read chapters, I really struggle with that. I really struggle to consistently sit down and read nonfiction. Um, I can very consistently and effectively listen to nonfiction and then take effective notes and feel like I've retained it and it feels easy and doable. Um, but I really struggled to sit there and read it. And, uh, I, I, th I really think that my preferred way of learning is to either listen or watch and then do it myself. Uh, I, I find that works so much better. And I think that a part of that could be, um, the, the time thing. So whenever you listen to something or watch something, maybe this isn't actually a, a universal experience. Maybe it's just me, but I definitely listen to or watch content faster than I read it. I'm a relatively slow reader, uh, whereas I listen to all nonfiction and, and all the nonfiction that I watch as well, I do so at two times speed. Uh, 2.1 2 now, actually, I've kicked it up a little bit. Uh, and, and I can comprehend all of that and I can take my notes based on that. And so I can get through so much more content so much more quickly. Um, and then I, you know, I go and try and read and it, and it feels so slow and yeah, I definitely find that I am a, I'm a much better uh, if I watch something and take notes on it and then do it rather than if I just sit with a book and study. 
like I think I, I think I get there, but I think that's out of necessity. Uh, I think that a lot of studying I've had to do in the past, there's been no other option than the information is in this book, get it into your brain. And then you've just had to, you know, when you, when you're in school, you have to do that. There's not another option. Um, so you kind of have to rise to it, but it's not effective. I don't think, or at least it, it's not for me. Uh, what about you? What's your kind of preferred way of learning? I, on, on your, on your, your, your comment about 2.1 speed, I guess you have to be very selective about the person reading the narrator of that book. If they have a voice mm -hmm. that is a bit sharp or something like that, have you come across books that you just can't listen to? You have to dial it down just because the actual voice of that person doesn't quite work at 2.1 speed in the same way as someone else's. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a bit more on this. This is something that I recommend anybody do. It's, it has actually genuinely, and I mean this, it's been life-changing. Uh, I started probably less than a year ago um, and I started listening to my like non-fiction content like books and things on 1.1 times speed and then steadily kicking it up and now it's on two times speed um, and what were the increments by the way um you know what they, they were they were rapid at first so I don't think I actually ever listened at 1.1 I think I went straight to like 1.345 and then within a couple of weeks I was probably up to close to two um but I find two, around two to be the sweet spot. So sometimes I will listen to a book and because the narrator has a very baritone and clear voice, I can kick it up a notch and I can listen to it a little bit faster and, and that's fine. Uh, normally, uh, where the narrator is female, I can't listen to it that fast because they have a lower voice. Um, sorry, no, they don't, most of them. Uh, they have a because they have a higher voice it's not as comprehensible at very very high speeds so i do have to kick it down a little bit um so like i've listened to uh, grit and uh, uh, grit by angela duckworth skincare uh by caroline hirons um and both of those are narrated by the authors um who yeah i had to turn down uh, the speed a little bit uh, sometimes I'll listen to a, a male narrator and I have to turn down the speed a little bit. Like I think, I think Power of Moments, which is not narrated by the authors, Chip and Dan Heath, narrated by someone else, I had to kick that down just a notch for me to be able to understand it. So yeah, you've got to be fluid with it. But for the most part, I listen to most of my content at two times speed. And it's just like, it, it is life-changing. I get the same amount of notes out of it and I can effectively listen to it twice in the same amount of time. And reading a book through twice, I, I think everybody could kind of, uh, I think this will resonate with everybody, but whenever you do something twice, read a book, watch a film, whatever, I think that you get so much more out of it the second time because you kind of understand the whole piece in, in one context, you know? Um, so, being able to read through or, or listen through to something twice in the same amount of time has done so much for my ability to uh, to kind of engage with the content, remember it, and do so at a pace that feels really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You've set the groundwork in advance. And actually, there are authors that uh, factor this in when they're writing, like fiction authors, they factor this in when they're building a story, Patrick Rothfuss talks about how when he was writing 
um, Name of the Wind mm. and Wise Man's Fear, he writes them with such uh, intricacy and care. He wants his readers of one time, two times, three times to get something new every time. And you're, say you read the first book twice and the second read, you notice all these things that you didn't notice the first time. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Oh, that's that that's tied to that character. Yeah. You start to notice all these little little kind of Easter eggs dotted around. But then you read the second book and then read the first book a third time, you get then even more. He's quite deliberate and quite specific about about doing that. Um, and that's that's based on the same same principle. Once you've got that level of grounding already there, you've got this foundation. Um, it's not new to you. You're not trying to grab all of the information afresh. Mm -hmm. You're you're going in with a certain level of knowledge already, particularly if you've taken notes. Yeah. So if you're if you're studying for something, if you're taking notes, you've got even more of a grounding if you're using effective note taking. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of lining up two things that, well, for you in particular, because I don't do this to the same level as as, as you do. Um, you're stacking up different different techniques uh, to have the to increase the probability of retention. So you're you're working at two times speed or two point one times speed when you're listening to an audiobook, and you're deploying effective note taking methods, and both of which give you more retention. And this is something that you can do with reading as well. Uh, I, I don't. I I should mention. I know. I'm aware of the concept of speed reading. Uh, I know yeah. that that's something you can practice. You know, there is a, a a a skill to being able to kind of read in such a way that you, you can, you know, you can just blast through pages. You can read incredibly fast, and that's kind of the same thing. Uh, there are reports of people reading at ridiculous uh words per minute with incredibly high retention probably higher than i i mean definitely higher than than i get out of listening to something twice at two times speed uh, and you do so by kind of making use of your peripheral vision really but instead of so when i read i concentrate on each word i go across a line and i look at each word uh, and i read i am a slow reader uh, i know that for a fact and when i do read i like to be slow and enjoy it um but speed reading is about looking. So I, I think one of the exercises I saw about speed reading is uh, first tracking your reading, where your eyes are looking with your like a pen or your finger or something, and then trying to skip every other word. So um, skipping your focus to, uh, to, to miss out every other word. And uh, you'll notice that you're, you're picking it up in your peripheral vision. And then you, you know, you start to expand that until eventually you're able to just scan down a page and actually take in everything that's written, uh, relying pretty heavily on your periphery to kind of capture it all, which I, I think is really fascinating. I would love to commit some time and energy to learn it sometime. Not a priority right now. Seems like a lot of hard work. Well, so, so what then, if we've got environment and we've got techniques, we're talking about what makes effective learning. Well, mm. there's a difference between what makes effective learning and what makes effective study. Yeah. But we've talked, so we've talked a bit about what, what for, for the two of us in our environment gives us um, the most effective uh, uh, learning opportunity. We talked about one part of that and that was music. And then we've talked about note taking and um, uh, listening to audiobooks at pace. Mm -hmm. 
if we loop back around to environment, what else do you do to configure your environment optimally for a study session? So I think this links pretty heavily to habits. And so it might be something that we've mentioned before, um, but I think that it's super important. I think that to be effective at learning, you've got to look at the habit of sitting down and studying. So I like a really clean minimalist space. Uh, I have very little decoration in rooms that I study in. Uh, I like, you know, nice neutral music. I like, uh, I want things to be as, I, I really want as little as possible to draw my eye or my, my, any of my senses away from what I'm doing. That's what I find works best for me. I kind of exist in this space of pure quietness. Um, and uh, I think that one of the things that I do to kind of promote this, uh, to try and encourage me to sit and learn or sit and study instead of, say, sit and watch TV, is uh, the way that I configure my room. So I have a, um, uh, I live in a two, uh, no, a one, a one bedroom flat by myself. So I have a bedroom uh, and I have a living room where my desk is. And when I first moved in, uh, I have the typical configuration of a living room where it's kind of centered around the sofa and the TV. That is just the default. That's what the living room is for. It's centered around coffee table, TV, sofa, and then some people will have a desk in the living room as well. It will be in the corner. Um, and psychologically, I think the impact that that has, and this is something that I read about in Make Time, uh, John Zaratsky and Jake Knapp, um, uh, the psychological impact that that has is when you walk into that room, your default activity is to sit on the sofa and watch TV because the room is built around it. So change that default. Um, and so what I did was I swapped the positions of my desk and my sofa. My sofa is now tucked in the corner and my desk is right in the center of the living room. It is like the, the room is built around my desk. And so it kind of, shifts the it's, it's it's a minor thing and it's definitely not like the one trick you need to to make sure that you study every day but it's it's one of those things that helps me more consistently sit at my desk and study instead of slumping down on the sofa i have to actually kind of get through my desk to get to the sofa as opposed to the other way around um and i think that you know those kinds of things like configuring your environment making little changes here and there to optimize it for what you want to do uh, is the is the best way to do it. It doesn't mean, you know, get rid of your TV because that's the thing that some people do. Um, you know, uh, I, I remember when I was in school, some people would pack up their Playstations and their Xboxes uh, for months uh, leading into the exam season. You know, they, they just pack it up and put it all away. And I think that that is a little bit extreme, you know, to say, I'm going to pack it up. I'm going to put it in a box, tape it all up. I'm not going to touch it for three months so that I focus on my study. I, I get the logic. I just think that's taking it a bit too far and it makes it unsustainable. What I do instead is my games consoles. Um, I do pack them all away and put them um, like in the bottom shelf. Uh, and if I want to play, I have to get them out, unpack them. And I have the habit established that when I'm done playing, I pack them up and put them away again. And I can play anytime I want. I do not restrict myself on that. If I want to play video games, I can sit and play video games. 
but having the, that that buffer on either side where I have to set it up again. Whereas if I want to study, it's right there. My laptop is on my desk. Um, my stuff is is accessible and available, uh, and that makes it just a little bit more friction to 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 be distracted and a little bit less friction to sit down and study. And that's the key for me. That is absolutely what it comes down to. It's about reducing the friction to get me get my butt in the seat and get me studying and increasing the friction for me to get distracted. So you're essentially eliminating distractions. So a couple of things. You said you're eliminating distractions and you're configuring your room layout. Uh, you're also minimizing the obstacles between you and your study space. So two sides mm. to that. You minimize the amount of obstacles between you and your study space. So you try to make sure that there are no obstacles. Therefore, there's no effort, there's no resistance, or there's minimal effort, Yeah. a little resistance. And then with things that could be distractors, such as your console, or in some people's case, it'll even be social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one of a, however many other things, you increase the amount of obstacles between you and those things. And I did the same thing recently because I want to study on a particular um, professional milestone that I'm going after. And I'm going after it very aggressively. And so I deactivated my Facebook account, my Instagram account, and I left the only one that was relevant to the thing I was going after. That's LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Because as as you know, I've optimized my LinkedIn to be beneficial for this particular um, milestone that I'm I'm going after. So I did that as a temporary thing because I'm not that bothered by social media. I don't find it particularly interesting anyway. Mm-hmm. However, I would find that it becomes an option for me to select. So I just remove the option. I did the equivalent of pack, packing it up. Well, I don't know. Yeah, not as I didn't go as far as deleting the account. I just deactivated the account. So it's kind. Of, I can very easily reactivate it by just putting in my username and password, and it will turn back on. Yeah. However, I now have an extra thing to do to get there. Mm-hmm. I don't care about it enough to do that. So um, that's the same sort of thing. I think this is essentially you're 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 minimizing obstacles between you and your your optimal study environment, and your maximum your I guess increasing the amount of obstacles between you and the potential distractor. Uh, and this actually relates to something that um, a fair few authors have said. People like Brandon Sanderson. I can't remember exactly which ones, but. Around the, the kind of group that I remember the rough time I was listening to um, George R. R. Martin, uh, Brandon Sanderson and Stephen King. I can't remember which one said this, but it may have been one or all or even none, maybe someone else. Uh, having, a, they, uh, having a desk space with their pad, their pen or whatever, their laptop or, 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 or it's just there. It's a seat. It's just out of the way. Mm-hmm. In fact, to, to, to talk about Patrick Rothfuss again, I'm pretty sure he has a, a, a specific building he goes to. Yeah. I can't remember what it was, like a, a cabin or something. I don't remember what it was, but a place he can go where it's just him and his thoughts to let the mind wander. Um, slightly different because when you're doing something creative, you want to let the mind wander like that. When you're fo- honing in on study, you're, you've got your specific information that you need to draw out. So we've got things like, so your environment, you've got music, eliminating distractions, configure the room layout, minimize obstacles between you and the study space, uh, increase the amount of obstacles between you and the potential distractors. 
Yeah. These yeah. are all environmental things. And this is um, highly applicable stuff. Like this is really habits, not necessarily specific to studying. Anything that you want to do, even if it's uh, exercise or eating healthily. Um, I don't. I think that if you take the extreme precaution of throwing away all of the unhealthy food, so there is none in the house. And if you want to go get some, you're going to have to go buy it. I think that's a step too far. And I don't think that's a very self-compassionate way to do it. Instead, first, just put the unhealthy food on the top shelf and put all of the healthy food, the fruit, the, I don't know, just fruit really, uh, down on in fruit bowls, visible and within reach from, like, let's say you work from home, you know, near or visible from your desk. Um, is that the extent of your healthy food um, list is, 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 is fruit, by the way? I couldn't, so I, I actually, I think I eat very little fruit, to be honest, very little fresh fruit, uh, but I couldn't think of any other healthy snacks. Um, you're a Huel guy. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm a Huel guy. I have Huel for like two of my meals and a snack each day. So I'm not very familiar with foods anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you, I don't know what you people eat. Uh, I just I just ingest all of my nutrition directly. Uh, so yeah. I, I couldn't think of any foods. <laughs> Um, so we got environment, we got techniques. Techniques have only there, 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 there are obviously a whole bunch you can get into. But we've talked a bit more in a bit more detail about um, uh, audiobooks, increasing the listen, the listening speed, and effective note taking. All of those things there that we've we've gone over. Is that your um, switch all of that on? Mm-hmm. Are you in study mode? Do you have to do anything? So I, 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 where I'm going with this is. I be I, I have to be very careful about what I eat and consume. Yeah. So we, we were just talking about food, actually. Um, generally speaking, not just for study, I have to be careful with what I eat. If I, if I, if I, uh, 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 to be honest, there's there's a lot that I eat. If I eat through the day, it starts to make me a little tired. So I actually more or less only have liquids until about five o'clock in the until about five o'clock yeah. in the in the um, in the evening. However, there are some exceptions to this. I will have um, like a, a half cup of grapes or something like that if I'm kind of peckish or stuff like that. I'm not too worried about because I don't get tired if I have a half cup of grapes or a, 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 an orange or something like that. But hydration is is obviously really really important for study and doing exams. Got to be hydrated for um, sure. Do you have any other things like that? If you're thinking, right, I'm going to sit down for, I'm studying for something. I'm going to study on, let's say, Thursday night for a couple of hours. Do you have to be careful through Thursday what you eat so that you're not lethargic and burnt out as a result? Yes, I do, for sure. So now that you've said that, um, three more things have come to mind. One of them you already touched on. uh, And that is the, I can't remember the the name of the principle, but in fact, let me Google it real quick. It's the principle that work expands to fill the time that you allocate to it. Um, let's see. Parkinson's law. Uh, so yeah, Parkinson's law is the 
the idea that any work that you have to do will expand to fill the time that you allocate to it. If you if you give yourself a week to learn this chapter of whatever you're studying, it will take a week. If you give yourself four days, it will take four days. If you give yourself two weeks, it will take two weeks. Uh, and of course, this is not a hundred percent strict. It's but it, but it is much much more common than. Uh, than you think and it does most likely apply to you it doesn't apply to those who are very 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 self-disciplined and that is not us or anyone that we know to be totally frank um if you you know you're just you're very likely not uh so disciplined that this doesn't affect you so assume that it does just accept that it does that whatever you uh, assign yourself to do, it will expand to the time that you set for it. So the first thing is I will decide what I want to get done on that Thursday night. You know, what am I aiming to get done? If I finish that, I will genuinely let myself stop. If I finish it in two hours and I've set out four to study, I stop after two, I've done what I wanted to do. Um, if I get to four hours and I'm nearly done, uh, I'm going to finish. But most of the time you don't finish in two hours. If I give myself four hours to get something done, it's going to take four hours. Most of the time, this, this law is strikingly accurate. Uh, and so that's one thing that I think you've got to consider. Uh, you want to, if you have a time scale that like, you have a, a certain time frame to work with, decide what you want to do uh, in that time frame before you actually sit down to do it. If you have a certain amount that you have to do, like you have to get these three chapters done, then decide on the time scale. Decide that you're going to get these three chapters done and it's going to take you three days to do it. So one way or the other, um, create that false deadline. Be clear about what you want to do and how long it's going to take you. And you will find that more it's a lot easier to rise to those deadlines. The longer a deadline you give yourself, the longer the work is going to take. It will always take as long as your deadline. Mm -hmm. um, That's one. You said there were three. Yes. So... The next two um, are very similar. You can you could probably roll them up into one. One is a lot harder to talk about, and it's a new idea that I've come across, and I haven't really figured out how I feel about it yet. Um, so the first one is, as you said, eating. I do the same thing. I uh, I have to be careful about what I eat through the day, uh, and that's one of the one, well, that's the, one of the reasons that I am a. Uh, a hooligan, as they say. Um, having huel for breakfast, lunch, and then a snack during my sort of active hours of the day, uh, it doesn't give me, you know, uh, unprecedented amounts of energy. It doesn't help me focus more than anything else, but it, it contributes to my focus because it allows me to be consistent. I, by having the same thing every day, I know how I'm going to feel. I know that I'm not going to feel bloated or hungry or low on sugar, low on energy. I know that at least from a nutritional standpoint, a food and hydration standpoint, I'm the same every day. And that really helps me plan what I'm able to do. So really what that boils down to is kind of managing your chemical levels through the day, like managing what's going on in your body uh, to make sure that you're consistent or that you, you're able to peak at a certain time. And that brings me on to the second thing. So I'm going to lead into this slowly. I'm going to I'm going to wade slowly into this because it's a it's a it's a tricky topic. Um, I 
am a big fan of uh, productivity YouTube. Uh, I, I like I like learning a lot about self improvement and productivity from YouTube. And there is a productivity YouTuber. Uh, his uh, his channel is Captain Sinbad, um, and he makes productivity videos. Uh, and he also does a lot of like filmography and, uh, it's very interesting. Um, he does, you know, parodies of other productivity YouTubers and it's generally like genuinely informative, really pushes his craft of filmmaking to, uh, to like new heights every time he makes a video. It's, it's very impressive. Uh, and I really like the guy. I really like his channel. Um, so I was looking at his channel not long ago and I went back about like about two years ago and uh all of his videos were about uh semen retention um which i think is more colloquially known as the no fat movement so this idea of uh only really applicable to men but of of not masturbating uh for the uh, because of the uh, because of the chemical balance um, and so I haven't really looked into it properly, but it has been something that's been on my mind lately. You know, there is this guy who is incredibly successful on YouTube, uh, whose advice I listen to and who I admire in many ways. And he practices this. And he has said recently that he doesn't talk about it anymore, but he still practices it. Um, some of it is absolutely bonkers. Some of it is just cuckoo. You know, there are people who, who are like, who are saying that you know you're you 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 it's you know that that the semen is like carefully, is is like chakra and by releasing it you're releasing your energy your chakra and you should keep it in you and and oh god you know some of it is really ridiculous but um I've heard I've heard I've heard some of these these kind of um some of the hypotheses around <laughs> yeah. this as well. Um, but it's actually not uncommon in the fighting world. So I think Mah apparently Muhammad Ali used to practice this. And actually, uh, I was watching Rocky 1 earlier this year. And I noticed he... Uh, so it, leading up to the final fight, uh, him and Adrian start to get a little bit, you know, friendly. Uh, and he turns her down. Uh, and he says, mm -hmm. I'm not going to try and do his accent because... It's a hard one. Um, but he says, uh, I can't, Adrian. I've, I've got to stay strong. Got to stay strong. So, so I, you know, uh, unsaid, but I, I can't have sex. Um, yeah. And tactical celibacy, essentially, mm. is, is, is what we're talking about. Tactical celibacy leading up to a particular event, or, or, you know, that you need to focus on. And so, fight. The, yeah. the, 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 the aggressive. The fighting makes a lot, a lot. I think is faster to uh, understand. It's easier to understand. Yes, because your, you know, testosterone levels are up, and that does make you that little bit more aggressive, just a little bit more dominant. I don't know how much um, anybody, you know, like female listeners, will really understand this, but this really is a thing with guys, uh, and it's something that I am now thinking about. You know. I do a lot to to manage my sort of chemical balance through the day. Is this something I should be considering you know, as a part of that? Um, maybe. I have no idea. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but 
try it and find out tactical celibacy it shouldn't to, for the record it shouldn't be a thing that is um difficult or awkward to talk about it's just a thing like any other thing yeah so mm-hmm. i think if, if we're talking about things that help you specifically we're talking about things that improve your amount of learning and uh make you more effective at study or increase the probability of information retention and then i i guess subsequently recall is a whole other area yeah um if this is something that would help then it's a completely valid topic to have on the table and actually it would be a real shame to not discuss because it's um uh still somewhat uh, taboo yeah way, it's it's, I, a, it's tough I, I to talk about is, is un- um... I find, yeah i find it unfortunate um that, that that kind of thing is still taboo because it's like who who are we kidding yeah i mean like who who exactly are we kidding uh, everyone, everyone knows what people are up to. Everyone knows how kids are made, so it shouldn't really be. And I, I think that it is a universal experience uh, for men. You know, if you wake up and you eat uh, half a leftover pizza for breakfast, honestly, are you is anybody going to be surprised if they're feeling a bit more lethargic a couple of hours later? Not at all. Uh, and then same with with guys. If you I don't know. Uh, if you wake up and you've got a whole day of study planned and you rub one out in the morning, you're much less likely to get going. You're much less likely to to get to your desk, get studying and stick it out because of the, the change in chemicals. Um, I don't know strictly what. I mean, I guess I, testosterone is down. I don't know. what. Oh, it, uh, you, dopamine spike, right? Uh, so actually, dopamine management is something that I do. Um, not particularly this way, but uh, I, I try to... So so dopamine is a chemical that your body excretes when you achieve something. And it gives you that feeling, that warm feeling of accomplishment whenever you get something done. Uh, so, you know, you wake up early, you go for a good workout, you complete your study session, you, you, you do what you planned to do. You get a dopamine hit from that. Um, it's also the chemical that uh, is kind of um, simulated by tobacco. So that's why tobacco uh, and smoking are addictive because they give your your brain that little release that makes it feel like it's accomplished something. Um, and getting too much dopamine too early in your day kind of fries your dopamine receptors and, and you, you, like you you're, you really only want so much in a day it's like i don't know it's like salty food uh you might find it delicious but once you've had enough it's not going to be nice for the rest of the day you know you've got to sleep on it wake up eat some more salty food and then it's delicious again you can get sick of it um and you get dopamine from a whole bunch of things from delicious food from watching tv um from even reading fiction, uh, really anything fun releases dopamine. And if you have too much dopamine, it's a lot harder to do things that you don't want to do. So uh, this is something that I practice. This is uh, like I try to kind of, if I know that I need to sit down and focus on something like a long extended study period, I try to be kind of set up a low dopamine day. Uh, and a couple of times in my life, I've tried to have no dopamine days where I, I really just try and reset and sit and do nothing. So no social media, no reading anything, no watching TV, no listening to music, um, no 
not even working out. Just try and do nothing all day. Um, so I will like, I don't even know if this is the right way to do it, but I'll potter about, I'll clean the flat. Uh, maybe I'll go for a walk, but I won't strain myself. Uh, I won't listen to anything. I won't watch anything. And I will try and I, I've only managed to do it a couple of times because I think when you have a busy schedule, it's hard to find a day where you just do absolutely nothing. Um, but it it does it does teach you a lesson. It really does. Like I think that there's a lot to be learned from just doing nothing. Sometimes it is good to just do nothing uh, to reset those, you know, that constant influx of dopamine that we have from being constantly plugged in to social media, to, to gaming. Everything is at our fingertips, uh, accessible all the time, 24-7. And it's just a constant stream of hitting that dopamine button. And I really think that uh, stepping away from that, switching off, retreating, and avoiding dopamine for a day, it's hard to put into words, but there's a lesson to be learned there. Uh, it's something that it's almost like a meditative practice for me. And it is something that I actually have done in the past. And I do think about my dopamine levels through the day when I've got something to do that I don't really want to do. It's like dopamine fasting, really, essentially. Some of the same reasons mm. um, that people fast are coming out here for obviously relevant to the particular thing. But yeah, I think that actually, I don't know. I think, I think that, you reference having a busy schedule and I actually think that if you're working and running a side hustle doing podcasts um, studying doing all of these things I actually think that you're you're not getting that you're not doing those things that trigger the high levels of dopamine so you're not on social media mm. You're not playing the computer. You're not working out. You're not watching TV. And so I find, that's why, so for me, I use the whole, as we've t talked about before, this 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 um, this very deliberate catharsis where I make sure that at least once per week I engage in, I engage in just watching TV or something very low effort, something purely to allow my mind to relax and essentially just Give me, give me some dopamine. Give me that because being, if you're, I think that a very common side effect of being a, trying to be a highly productive individual is burnout. Yeah. I think if you have, if you, if you have a growth mindset, and you, and you try to work very, very hard, and you kind of live in what you see as the warrior's way, you're always trying to be better and do better and contribute positively to those around you and all this kind of stuff. It. You, I've seen many people risk, um, not risk, suffer from burnout as a result because it's so intense. And some people deal with that by avoid, avoiding the avoiding the, the burnout altogether. And what I do is I just try and recognize the warning signs, get as close to it as I possibly can and try and ex extend my level of resistance to it for the future. Mm-hmm. But if I don't engage in this kind of um, at least once a week activity of just watching the TV or I, I don't even I, reading fiction is, is a really good way to relax, but even requires more effort than just watching TV, yeah. watching a, a Netflix movie or, or playing a computer game. Although for the record, computer games can be very stressful. Yes. 
Yeah. So not always the best thing to choose when you need to wind down a little bit, but you know some computer games are more more relaxing if they're if they're not you know competitive or whatever. So I think that actually, that I th- what I've got to ask you is, is this you telling me that when you're at work you're just on Facebook all of the time, harvesting loads of dopamine? Um. No. <laughs> I'd like to speak to my lawyer. um no 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 not necessarily i i so but i think that you've run into a really good point there i think that you take different approaches to your kind of dopamine management uh depending on whether you are working really hard and overdoing it or not working so hard and and underdoing it and you know I've, i've been in ruts over this last year where i've been really struggling to get anything done um and i felt for various reasons, not just because I've been, you know, not just because I've been heavily distracted, uh, uh, for various reasons, not been able to do the things that I need to do. And when those times hit, when I get into a rut, um, which everybody, you know, hits everybody, hits everybody. Uh, one of my favorite techniques to get out of a rut is to have that reset day where I don't do anything. You know, not even things that I enjoy. I really, really try my best to do as little as possible. Um, I find that that full day, uh, I find it a pretty powerful way to, to kind of reset things. Um, so it's a purifying agent, mm, essentially. For you. Yeah. It's, it, it's a reset button. It's the equivalent of going into the cave and uh, away from everyone and everything and just staying there for an entire day and meditating yeah yeah it's a it's a retreat it's like a cleanse uh and you know this is very holistic uh so some of the things that we've talked about in the kind of latter half of this conversation have been very holistic and it is about what works for you uh, i don't think that anything that we've said is verging on what i would consider ridiculous uh, however, some people do take it to ridiculous levels. You know, some people start to look at the spiritual side of doing nothing, which I think is a step far. But but I think that it is rooted in something. You know, it's not completely unfounded. Like you you, you read about the um, the powerful spiritual uh, uh, impact that meditation can have on your life, and. As, a, as somebody who practices meditation, I think that's all bullshit. I think it's complete bollocks. Uh, but there is still something there. There is, there is some, something to be taken away from it regardless. I think some people... I guess it, it, depends. It, it, it depends on what you mean by spirituality. It depends on what spirituality means to you and I guess your, your kind of personal definition of that. And then also there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of real utility to things like spirituality and uh, even religion. Um, mm. To us, to, I mean, I'm 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 um, I'm not a man of faith, but I do see the utility of of those things and find them really fascinating and interesting. But that is a whole other conversation in and of itself. Yeah. I think we're probably coming to the point where we should do a recap. <laughs> we should, but, we, but we've before hit we do, one more thing one more thing okay um when it comes to studying one of my absolute best tips is having an accountability partner um right i don't know whether it works for everybody but for me i 
do so much better when I'm trying to do things that I don't want to do. And, and I will be frank, I never want to study. You know, I very rarely am in the mood to sit down and study. And the trick to being good at studying is finding ways to do it when you don't want to do it. And when I don't want to do something, um, having a, a an accountability partner that might be studying with me or might not is really helpful. So I have a friend who I check in with every week, once a week uh, at a consistent time. And we talk about this kind of stuff. We talk about, you know, what have you been studying? What have you been doing? Um, and there's no pressure. There's no like, oh, well, you, you promised me you would do this and you haven't. What's the deal with that? Uh, it, it's just a conversation checking in with each other. It's almost like a way to really check in with ourselves secretly. But uh, by talking to someone else about it, you just get a lot more out of the conversation. And I find that really, yeah. really helps me. Um, having somebody else who is who, who knows exactly what you're trying to do and what you're actually doing, I find really, really useful. And it's not always easy to do uh, because it's not always in your control. But having an accountability partner for anything that you're trying to do, uh, I really would recommend it. It's one of my favorite ways to get things done. In fact, I almost don't start new things now unless someone's going to do it with me because sure. I'm just yeah, so much better at it. That's a really good point to bring up, actually, having an accountability partner uh, because you're, even if you're not doing, like, as you say, you're not telling each other off. You're not the boss of one another. And it is a way to create reflection, but also you when you surround yourself with like-minded people, it gives us a, it gives us energy toward that thing. That's why there's so much advice out there to remove toxic influences from your life, and surround yourself uh, with people who are going to encourage you and celebrate your successes with you, mm -hmm. um, and people who you can talk to about something interesting, like a, a set shared subject that you're studying. And it makes you think more about that thing. And when you have to, it's, it's quite well known that when you t teach something that you have learned, you retain it more effectively. Yes. Which is probably a whole other, whole, whole other section we could have added to that mm -hmm. is to, to, to teach that you've got to have someone who's willing to listen to you do that. But that's where an accountability partner can come in because you can say, okay, you take this bit, I'll take that bit, or we'll both take the same. And then we will, we will uh, recite to each other we will teach each other about the bit that we've both learned and we can kind of fact check each other a little bit there too yeah and that's something that i do want to talk to you about at some point is that idea of uh of teaching people all the time um and you know how do you how do you teach someone something when they haven't necessarily asked you to teach them something what's the best way to approach uh yeah mentoring somebody who never asked you to be mentored uh, because it's tricky. It's a very grey area. There's a lot of factors involved, and I think there's a lot to talk about there. But there we probably is. don't have time today. So we've come across some really interesting points in 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 uh, um, how to. What did we say we were going to talk about? Was it learning or was it study? Yes. Both. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> I can't recall them. We never really stay on topic, but we're I'm vaguely on topic. Well, e either way, um, we seem to lean a little bit more. I mean, it works for both, doesn't it? There is a clear, very close commonality between the two. And we talked about environment, optimizing your environment and different things you can do, or that we do anyway, to 
make sure that our environment is right for us. And actually, I think even though we got quite deep into that, there's still tons that we didn't cover. Oh, tons, um, yeah. Techniques, we covered a cu couple of techniques that you use a lot more than I do that are useful for increasing the probability of retention. Consumption, food, drink, that kind of stuff. Uh, don't get drunk before you study. It's a pretty good rule. I don't drink anyway, so yeah. not going to happen. Um, I actually, um, so, I know, so a friend of a friend uh, who reportedly at university, uh, they were studying history. So lots of writing, long essays, and their approach to essay writing, uh, which is notoriously hard to sit down and slog through. Uh, their approach was do it drunk, edit it sober. Uh, so they would actually go out on nights out, uh, go drinking, pubs, clubs, that kind of stuff, come home at three, smash out their essay, like just drunkenly word vomit onto a page, possibly real vomiting on the side, yeah, um, of course. get their essay written and then go through the nightmare task of editing it while sober. Uh, and reportedly, different, different strokes for different folks. yeah, reportedly this worked. So, uh, I hope that we've given you some good advice. I hope that you, the first thing you try isn't do it drunk, fix it sober. Uh, yeah, I feel like generally... that's probably going to be a bit more of an esoteric yeah. uh, technique to try. Not wouldn't be the first first one I recommend. But then again, like we've said before, nothing is one thing. There are exceptions to every rule. So there is going to be the person. The, the, there are going to be those out there who who benefit from that technique. Yeah, as we said at the beginning, what works for you is what's going to work for you. And uh, set an aim was another one that we covered. Setting an aim for what you're going to get out of that session, rather than purely having a a time mm -hmm. set. Yeah, what you're going to do and, and uh, how long it's going to take. You need to know those two things before you start. Tactical temporary abstinence from either foods or other things uh well the uh, sexual activity was the specific topic that, that, <laughs> yeah. you, that you brought to the table there and uh having an accountability partner mm -hmm. those are really good topics i think that's probably a really good place to to leave off because it's been a, been a good conversation and actually to the point we just made about one of the benefits of an accountability partner, I actually genuinely feel um, like I am better equipped for, for studying rather than it being this constant thing that needs to be done. I actually am more, I'm genuinely more interested in my next, so that'll probably last for about five minutes. <laughs> um, and then it will wear off. So I should probably really study for the next five minutes. But but thank you for the conversation. It's always good. And actually, I think we've covered a couple of things that we need to dig into in the future spirituality is a really interesting one because i'd like to have a serious conversation with you about your thoughts on that because i think there's a lot we agree on and probably some interesting areas that we don't agree on so much as well mm -hmm. yeah i think there's a lot of power in holistics whether placebo or not i think there is it's a very powerful thing uh so yeah yeah i mean we just have endless topics i, I don't know if, I, I kind of i what well, i kind of expect that at the end of each of these uh, conversations we'll list a bunch of stuff that we want to talk about in future and yeah. never get to it <laughs> yeah we need to ha have uh, it's almost like we need an accountability partner hang on <laughs> that's exactly what we have let's wrap it up there yeah.
That's the end of the episode, but it doesn't have to be the end of the conversation. If you want to talk to me or Lee about anything that we've discussed, we would really encourage that. You can reach me on Twitter at SultanJosh21, or you can find Lee on LinkedIn at LeeHawkinsWood. We would genuinely love to hear from you, and we're almost always up for a chat.